Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Rent to Power Hour. This is brought to you by Tennis Together, California's statewide organization for renters' rights. My name is Eduardo Torres. I'm the Northern California Regional Coordinator with Tennis Together. And today I'm joined with this is Lupe Arreola. Um, I am the Executive Director of Tenants Together. Santi Singh, I'm the Communications Coordinator for Tenants Together. Kitty Bolte, I'm a member of the Sacramento Tenants Union. Erica Jaramillo, I'm a member of the Sacramento Tenants Union. Hey, and I'm Elliot Stevenson, and I'm also a member of the Sacramento Tenants Union. Nice, it's good to have the Sacramento Tenants Union in the house, and really excited about uh, hearing what's going on up in the state capitol and all the great work they're doing. Uh, but first, we want to kind of start it off with talking about what's happening at the state capitol. There's a lot of movement happening across the state, but uh, currently right now there's some issues happening and we're trying to get an update about where things are. So, Lupe, we want to kind of lead us into that segment, please? Sure. Thank you. All right. So, it, we are in August um, 2020. We've been in pandemic mode now since March 2020. And, you know, so many people, you know, it's been said that um, up to a third, about a third of renters and homeowners were not able to pay their, their housing costs this month. And that's only folks that people are hearing from. Um, so we know that definitely there's a sense of fear. There's a little sense people are scared about not being able to pay their rent. So this is a really important month um, for renter protections and eviction protections in California. So as of right now, the, the Judicial Council Emergency Rule 1 is still the only piece of policy at the state level that is keeping unlawful detainers, which are the eviction action to legally remove you from your home. They're the only, it's the only thing that's actually keeping unlawful detainers from moving forward in the courts. So the reason why, if you're listening, and the reason why if you have not been able to pay rent and your case has not been able to go through the courts, is because of this one policy from the, the Judicial Council, Emergency Rule 1. So right now what's happening is that the Judicial Council, um, which is the state of California really, is being sued by the Pacific Legal Foundation on behalf of two small landlords who are upset because they're not able to evict their tenants. And so this case is about so much more than just these two landlords and the specific tenants they want to evict. It's about the millions of tenants in California that are currently unable to pay their rent through no fault of their own and could be basically out in the street during a pandemic um, because there is no other statewide um, protection right now for, for those tenants in California. Uh, this lawsuit is making the Judicial Council really concerned. And so they are, they've announced that they have the intention of uh, lifting rule one as of August 14th, which is next Friday. So as you can imagine, we were super concerned. We are super, um, you know, scared. And I, we're also really concerned that there's going to be even a gap um, for protections at the state level that's going to cause a flood of evictions to go to the courts. And it's going to have a flood of people out on the streets looking for housing during a pandemic when not having a place means you could be exposed to COVID. Um, so right now the Judicial Council is saying, well, you know, we want to lift rule one by um, August of 14th, um, but, and we want the legislature to do something about it. And we want the legislature to pass something as soon as possible. We want the governor to pass something as soon as possible. So it's kind of become a little bit of like a blame game, if you will, between Judicial Council, the governor and the legislature. And so the legislature is actually supposed to um, finalize all bills by the end of August. And so not just are we waiting to see what's going to happen with Judicial Council with Rule 1, now we're also know that by the end of the month, by the end of August, uh, we'll know what's going to happen with the legislature. So this is a big, big month for tenants in California. So what can tenants do then? Is there, I mean, is there anything that we can do in the state to help stop this? Sure. So one of the things that people can do immediately is that they can go to our website and they can fill out the petition to the Judicial Council um, to tell them to not overturn Rule 1. We need Rule 1 to stay in place until this pandemic is over. And at the very, 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 very least, until there is a law passed at the state level by the legislature or the governor 
that protects tenants from eviction equally all across the state. So the first thing is people can do is go to their website, fill out the petition, tell judicial counsel to not lift rule one. Sorry, additionally, people can also talk to their legislator to make sure that they're passing the, the bills at the state level that are gonna help give people that protection. Um, and so for that, I'm actually gonna pass it over to Shanti to talk about what is happening at the legislature. Yeah, so uh, Assembly Bill 1436 is the main thing that's happening at the state legislature. Um, for those of you who don't remember, didn't, haven't heard of what AB 1436 is, um, it's essentially a piece of legislation um, sponsored by David Chu, who's an assembly member out of San Francisco. He's actually my assembly member. Um, basically making it, you know, not possible to go through the unlawful detainer process for non-payment of rent. So what I mean by that is you can't be evicted uh, for not paying your rent for the cause of not paying your rent, rather. Um, so that goes up until about a year after a st any kind of hypothetical state of emergency, which can be extended, would end ideally. So essentially you have a year after the state of emergency is over to work out some sort of agreement with your landlord um, to sort out, you know, what your debt situation is going to be, you know, and it's, it's really an important first step. I think is how we should think about it because yeah we still have an issue of debt but first we have to make sure that people don't get kicked out of their homes when they can't pay which right now is millions of people right now um there are estimates saying that up to 40 million americans are in danger of eviction and when you think about the fact that california has about i think a quarter of uh america's population of renters that means that a lot of those millions of people are here in california so this bill is really, really, really critical uh, to make sure that, you know, whatever happens with the Judicial Council order, but especially if the Judicial Council decides to go back and um, reject the emergency rule that they put in place, um, this legislation then comes in and is super critical to making sure that there isn't going to be an avalanche of evictions, which I know this is very depressing stuff to talk about, but it's really, really important because the majority of evictions um, that could happen in this scenario are going to be for inability to pay rent because, you know, I think it was a couple months ago that they said that one in five renters were unable to pay their rent. But unfortunately, that number is only rising and was probably an underestimation. And why was that number an underestimation? Um, because there's so many renters who, you know, took loans from their families, who were using their stimulus check who are using their unemployment benefits, which have now expired, to basically cover their rent in the first few months of this pandemic. So every single time the first of the month goes by, um, especially when job losses are continuing, when we're reaching kind of Great Depression level job losses, um, you know, their, your ability to pay or scrounge together what you had left of your savings or borrow money or use stimulus payments that you should be using to feed your friends, your, your families and your communities and, and protect yourself and all of that stuff. Um, your ability to put all that money that you had, what little money you had towards the rent gets less and less and less every single month. So we really are at a very, very critical moment here. Um, and so far, the legislature has not really passed any kind of comprehensive eviction protection that covers the state at all. So with this Judicial Council order, um, it's especially critical to pass something at the legislature if the Judicial Council um, emergency rule is revoked, but it's important to do it anyway, um, because there right now isn't really any kind of comprehensive eviction protection that applies to the entire state. Even, you know, I think we talked about this last time, but even Governor Newsom's, you know, quote unquote eviction moratorium isn't really an eviction moratorium. He's just directing cities to pass their own or counties to pass their own. And we think about the fact that we have like 58 counties, I think in California, and we have, a, um, let's see, 500 municipalities, something like that. Um, so you, what we have right now is not really any kind of real estate protection. It's just like a hodgepodge where depending on what city you live in, you might have some protections or you may have no protections at all. Um, so that's, anyway, going back to AB 1436, what it does, again, is it prevents um, evictions in the unlawful detainer process, which is how most evictions happen. You can't, if you're a landlord, you can't state that it's because um, your tenant didn't pay their rent. Um, and that is very, very critical. Again, it gives you a year after the state of emergency expires to work it out. That was originally 15 months uh, after the state of emergency, but it's been amended down to a year. 
Um, so that's one of the amendments that happened. And then another amendment that's been made is adding forbearance for property owners. Um, and that's particularly important to us and to property owners, but uh, it's particularly important because what we have seen in the past, including when Tenants Together was founded back in 2008 after the foreclosure crisis, was that you know you saw a lot of small property owners default on their mortgages. And um, after that, Wall Street would kind of come in and buy up these properties and turn them into very predatory rentals. We could potentially see that situation replay in this corona pandemic, except way worse, uh, possibly on a larger scale because the job losses are so much higher. And just like people can't pay their rent, a lot of uh, small property owners who may be dependent on you know, the rental income to make their mortgage payments, if the renter can't pay, then they can't pay their mortgages. Or if they lost their jobs, even they can't pay their mortgages. So you know, what the reason that we've, as a movement, have been putting forward the idea of canceling rent and canceling mortgages, because we realize these things are linked to each other. Um, and so forbearance for property owners is kind of a new thing that's coming into 1436 to basically um, stabilize smaller property owners um, to make sure that you know we don't that we have relief for tenants and small landlords who are dependent on the tenants for their rental income. Um, and you know from our perspective, it's really critical to make sure that you know we don't see another buying spree from Wall Street um, like we did in 2008, but possibly even bigger. So right now, Assembly Bill 1436 is still in um, the State Senate uh, Judiciary Committee. Um, so it's hopefully going to be heard next week in the Judiciary Committee. I believe we don't have a date on that yet. Um, but it's going to take some time uh, for this bill to go all the way through the State Senate, and then it has to go back to the Assembly. So it has to go through all the different committees, then it has to pass the State Senate then it has to go through the assembly committees and then it has to pass the assembly and then Governor Newsom has to sign it. And knowing what we know with what Lupe said about the Judicial Council and how they're considering overturning this emergency rule one and two very soon, possibly in the next week, there's really no real possibility that AB 1436 is going to pass and be signed before that rule could potentially be overturned. So we're in a very, very, very tight situation. Yeah, right. um, and it hasn't kind of helped, you know, state legislators are now, as of a couple days ago, asking the Judicial Council, please don't overturn this rule, which is good. They weren't saying that much before. Um, and, you know, there's kind of been a little bit of back and forth where, you know, there's people saying, well, the Judicial Council should keep this rule in place until we pass legislation. Um, but then, you know, people on the Judicial Council side saying, well, it's the legislators fault, like you didn't pass anything earlier. And so, you know, you kind of see a little bit of buck passing that's a little frustrating yeah. for all of us um, because uh, what we are ultimately doing is trying to work together to prevent any sort of eviction avalanche from coming to California. Um, but, you know, we're also, this is kind of where also people can get involved if you're a listener. Like we have a trio of petitions. Um, we have one to the Judicial Council, we have one to, uh, and one to your legislators to support AB 1436, because it is really critical that we get it passed as soon as possible. Uh, I was just going to ask also that it's so important that people contact the governor, contact Judicial Council, but especially, especially contact your senator and contact your assembly people. What we're also concerned about is not just that there's going to be an attempt to do further amendments to AB 1436, but it's that legislators, as they have in the past, many times are going to try to sit this one out, are going to basically abstain, and that's going to make the difference between a bill like AB 1436 passing and not. And so what we're saying is, you know, there was never, it was never an option for them to ride the fence, but right now, they have to vote on this bill. They have to take a stand. They have to vote for their constituents and not sit on the sidelines waiting for people to be evicted. It is so important that every single person, call your senator, call your assembly person, make sure they know that you live in their, in their district and that they have to vote on AB 1436. Yeah, and I'm really glad you mentioned that because one of the things that keeps happening a lot, um, it's happened we've talked about on prior podcasts with other bills we've tried to pass even in the before times um which is that a lot of legislators will simply kill a vote uh kill a bill by abstaining um so every senator needs to vote 
We also need to make sure, you know, as I said, that it's going to go through all of these different committees and it has to go through these Senate committees and it passes the Senate, then it goes through the Assembly committees and it passes the Assembly. We need to really hold a firm line that this bill is not watered down, which often happens because of pressure from the real estate industry who is coming out against this. So, you know, tell your Senator, tell your Assembly member, pass it as it is. Every Senator needs to vote. No more amendments. Can we? Can we say something like, hey, you know, abstinence doesn't work for sexual education. It doesn't work for 14836. <laughs> <laughs> like, like there's no room for abstinence in sex ed or in AB 1436. You can just do that for like, uh, no abstinence for insert any tenant bill here. Exactly. <laughs> Especially this one. Like abstinence doesn't work in sex ed or the legislature. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's the, that's the deal with AB 1436, still waiting for, still waiting for this bad boy to get through the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, which mm -hmm. hopefully will be the week of the 12th, which is next week. Um, and the last thing, the kind of like another part of this trifecta, if you will, of the Judicial Council and the legislature is the governor, obviously. And Governor Newsom still has the opportunity right now to pass a statewide uh, eviction moratorium. They will protect everybody, regardless of what happens with the judicial council, regardless of what happens with the legislature. He still has the power to do that. And so it's really important that people still continue to pressure Governor Newsom because it's due to his inaction that we've actually are parted, partly in this mess, is that he refused to pass an eviction moratorium at the beginning of the pandemic when we were uh, demanding that and millions of people were, millions of people were demanding that. And now we're in a place where we could be left without eviction protections and people could be evicted. And so his inaction has led to that. And so he can actually remedy, remedy that now by passing a statewide eviction moratorium. Well, that's all great and all that, but where's, where the heck is Gavin Newsom? Uh, I don't know, have you seen it? Yeah, talking to Elon Musk, apparently. He takes Elon Musk calls, I, I heard, because Elon Musk apparently wanted to uh, reopen the tesla factory in the bay area and he was mad that it was shut down and he complained about it and gavin newsom called him right away unfortunately gavin newsom does not call us that like that when we call him out on things i mean here's the thing if gavin newsom had taken care of us back in march when we were demanding it imagine all the time we would have had <laughs> left to be able to do other things that are helpful and useful during this time so, you know, let's dream for a minute. What would you be doing with your time had Gavin Newsom taken action back in April? And we wouldn't have to spend the last five months um, trying to figure out how to protect people from eviction. Shanti, what would you have done with your time? I would have, that's a really good question. Um, I would have improved uh, my pupusa making skills because uh, they're still pretty bad. I'm still trying to figure out, I always get this pupusa is like, I get this like crust of like too much masa, like dough on the outside and it's like not oily enough. And so like, I just get these chunks of dough. It's just, it's not quite working out yet. Um, and I definitely would have worked on that uh, a lot more. I could have been a pupusa professional at this point, and my husband would have been a lot happier. So, I mean, we would have been a lot happier because hopefully we would have gotten some pupusas. So, all <laughs> day. Um, I don't know, Eduardo. What do you think? What would you have done? I probably would have had some extra time to digitize my vinyl, which I've been wanting to do. You know, that'd be good to have an extra. I don't know couple hours a week not like hunting down the governor and everyone else who isn't doing their job <laughs> so um it's just really sad that we even have to even have this conversation because you know you would think during a pandemic during uh, such a historical moment that their government right would take care of the, uh, the most vulnerable people and they're not doing it kitty what would you have been doing oh man well we got big into the um like pandemic homestead increase at the beginning of the pandemic. We had a garden before, but we like really went hard on the garden early this year, but now it's like totally just like fruit rotting in my backyard because we were too busy. <laughs> to all this stuff. So we would have eaten the fruits of our labor um, if it were not for, for the eviction crisis. Erica, any new hobbies out there that you probably would have picked up? To be honest, I probably might have 
more time to where I could do more self-care. I think that's such a great answer. I agree with you, especially <laughs> during this pandemic. I think we all deserve that extra time to, for more self-care. Yeah, I think a lot of us that are doing this work right now, um, we either have personal experience with it or we grew up, you know, impoverished and in disinvested neighborhoods. And we really understand what that, like, what the consequences of not taking action on this to protect renters is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's actually such a great segue. And that's is exactly why we invited Sacramento Tenants Union to share some updates about what's happening in Sacramento, because as, as uh, some of us know, or, or some of those who are listening to this podcast aren't aware, uh, the Sacramento City Council, Mayor, uh, they're pretty much uh, participating in voter suppression by not allowing Sacramento voters the chance to vote for a rent control ballot initiative. And so uh, we invited the Sacramento Tenants Union to come and give a little bit of a history about how we got here and, and also give us an update about the most recent ruling um, at, the, at the city level, right? Where now we're, looks like we're not even gonna get that chance to have rent control on the ballot. But um, let's go ahead and maybe hear about what's happening in Sacktown. Yeah, so maybe I'll tell a little bit of that early story and then hand it off. So um, back in like 2017, 2018, Sacramento actually had some of the highest year over year rent increases of anywhere in the country. The average rent in Sacramento was increasing like 10% per year on average, which is, is really crazy. And um, also like really untenable for tenants. You know, I think for a long time, um, people have felt like Sacramento is a comparatively affordable place to live, like especially in comparison to the Bay Area LA. Um, and a lot of people have kind of sought refuge here because of that. Um, and so those 10% increases like hit really hard. Also, I don't know anybody that got a 10% raise, right? Like where are people gonna come up with that money? So we really were like starting to acutely feel the, the ills of the housing crisis in Sacramento and people got together and they wrote um, a rent control charter amendment that they wanted to get on the ballot through the initiative process, right? Where they collect enough signatures to qualify it for a ballot and then it goes on the ballot and people vote on it and it passes or it doesn't. Um, and so the amendment that they that this coalition wrote would have done three major things. It would have capped rent at um, at CPI, the Consumer Price Index, so that varies, but it would have been like two or three percent would be the maximum allowable increase per year in those years. Uh, it would have um, is, like in, established just cause eviction protections, um, pretty similar to the protections under 1982. Um, although with a couple of differences. And then it would have established a democratically elected event board that would have mediated disputes between tenants and landlords. Um, and prior to that, and prior to um, the passage of 1482 and this other kind of weak city ordinance that I think we'll get into in a minute, there wasn't any type of like rent control at all in, in Sacramento. So like 2017, 2018, there was no recourse for tenants who were dealing with these excessive rent increases. Um, and so, read this amendment and then people went out and collected signatures like i think personally all three of us were boots on the ground like walking through neighborhoods in sacramento i remember it was really hot in may of 2018 i feel like every weekend it was like 100 degrees which is unseasonable for for that time of year and you were like out there sweating and collecting signatures uh, but we got it done we got 47,000 signatures for this charter amendment which is more than we needed to qualify it for the ballot that's amazing uh, yeah, it was a big and awesome effort by groups on the ground. Yeah, and a lot of the people that were collecting those signatures were, you know, <clears throat> a majority of them are working um, like minimum wage jobs. It's it's majority a couple jobs. It's not just that one job, and it some a lot of them don't have health care, and it it. I want to, it pains me, but it, it angers me more that we have elected officials who have held power for far too many years, but went into that job and call it public service. And yet they're doing as much as they can within their power to disempower us, essentially you know, by, by vote out voting us, you know, as a, as a city council or a board of supervisors on things that we're bringing to them. And, and it doesn't matter if it's 200, 300, 400 plus people, 
although it is going to matter because that number is going to keep building right now because of how much engagement is happening right now within Sacramento. But it it's very upsetting to to see people abuse power and care more about special interests and not the actual human beings who are on the ground having to fight for survival right now. Yeah, because so what ended up happening is that we got all these signatures, we qualified, we, we got all the signatures and we were hoping to um, qualify for the November 2018 ballot, but we missed the deadline for that. But we got the signatures in the end. And so we said, okay, well, uh, vote in 2020 is better than no vote at all. So, um, you know, we've been kind of like waiting for 2020, trying to generate support among renters in, in Sacramento for this charter amendment and trying to make sure that the city council was going to do the right thing and actually so so what happens is when you collect enough signatures to qualify something like that for the ballot the city council still has to actually take a vote to place it on the ballot and normally they do that right because um i mean what's more democratic than collecting forty-seven thousand signatures of people saying yeah i think this is something we should all be able to vote on right um, so that's usually not like a big hang-up in this process but this time around, it really was. And so the, I guess the first thing that happened was um, this, this is the first, this election season was the first time in I think like something like 20 years that any, um, in anything had qualified for the ballot in Sacramento through the initiative process by collecting signatures and two things qualified. This rent control charter amendment as well as this um, children's fund initiative that would like basically raise taxes to fund youth initiatives in Sacramento. And so the first thing that kind of uh, raised some concern for us was that the Sacramento City Council voted to place the children's, um, children's Fund measure on the March 2018 primary um, election, right? So people, we were able to vote on that in March. So we said, well, that's kind of funny. Like if, if we're voting on the Children's Fund in March, shouldn't we also vote on rent control in March? And but, they also qualified before they did. And we qualified before them. But there was yeah. some debate about, well, what's the, what's the next major election? Is that a primary election or is that the general election in fall 2020, right? And so we said, okay, I guess we've got the summer <laughs> for the city council to, to do the right thing, basically, and, um, and place this charter amendment on the ballot. And they've continued to drag their feet. The rule is that they have to make that vote at least 88 days before the election takes place. So this Tuesday, August 7th, our city council meetings on Tuesday, that's their last possible opportunity to vote to place the charter amendment on the ballot for November 2020. So, so the city council has been dragging its feet and it's actually been, been doing more than just dragging its feet. Um, oh gosh, I don't know. Elliot, do you want to talk about the whole the whole thing with Michelle Pierce and like SB 681? Well, I'll just say that um, Supposedly, there was some backroom deal struck a while ago for rent control in Sacramento, meaning that the city would institute its own weak version of renter protection. And in exchange, the rent control charter amendment that we were fighting for would die. Right. However, something in that deal fell apart. And our rent control coalition did not die. In fact, it gained steam all over again. And so in order to finally defeat it, after trying to trip us up all along the way, like Kitty and Erica have been explaining, finally they filed a lawsuit yeah. to deal with it once and for all. The lawsuit uh, would disallow all of Sacramento from voting on rent control in November 2020 if the judge agreed with the city, which the judge did agree with the city last Friday. And so just to um, get, the, get, get a little bit of understanding, the lawsuit was filed from by the city. Yeah. Or who were they suing? So they were suing, so there's three people who are signatory to the ballot measure who are like the official proponents of the ballot measure. And two of those people signed this letter saying that they are willing to withdraw the ballot measure from consideration to being um, voted on by the people. And that was the backroom deal was that everybody was supposed to do that. And so um, going back to what happened this past Friday, there was a judgment that passed, right? And Elliot was about to explain what happened. Well, I'm not um, a judge or an attorney. So without getting into the legal- uh, <laughs> hey, German, uh, you got me convinced, Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> without, without getting into the legal tall grass, um, essentially the judge sided with the city. The city was arguing that having a rent board 
would so significantly alter the structure of the city council mm. that it it's not it, it shouldn't be allowed and they successfully argued this in front of a judge and the judge uh basically sided with the city meaning that nobody in sacramento including the 40 plus thousand people who signed on for this charter amendment to begin with will have a chance to vote for it um and uh, on top of that it may have far-reaching effects for cities outside of sacramento um a challenging a charter amendment in this way is essentially challenging uh rent control initiatives everywhere and so if other people try to do the same thing in another city because okay imagine this you know that recycle symbol where it's got like the arrows in a circular fashion so imagine the first portion of this circle is pre-2017 as kitty was explaining we're going to city council on a weekly basis begging them people are being thrown out into the streets rent is going up 9 10 11 12 15 20 percent we don't know what to do we're dying out here help us out and we get the uh you know we get plugged ears nobody wants to listen to us so we go to the uh, charter amendment we gather the signatures we qualify it they ignore us so then finally we push them to this final deadline and what do they do they sue us and the lawsuit essentially says you're not allowed to do this through a ballot initiative the only way you can do it is by asking city council the same city council that we were asking in 2016 to do this so they've got us in this bizarre like infinity loop and there's no way out of it except to ask nicely the city council do the right thing or run and, candidates that support our initiative. Right, right. And I, I, I just want to, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I just want to, um, I want to point out some of the comparisons and why this is ridiculously undemocratic because while I watched that video, uh, the live streaming between the, the two different um, attorneys and the judge, yeah, and the and the judge says to Matthew Royak um, from I'm probably saying that wrong um, from the city's uh, city attorney side. He, you know, the judge says to him, "Are you happy with the tentative decision?" <laughs> you know, and Matthew's like, "Yes," you know, and it was just it's like did what like there was no need for that, but their argument in that was that it significantly like pulls power, legislative power and the power to like make um, like hot, like very governmentally instituted decisions that have been underneath the city attorney for decades. Um, that it's like reassigning that power or completely taking it away. And so it's narrowing his, uh, his ability you know, to manage. And now yeah. at the same time, they passed, this whole city council passed the strong mayor, mayor ballot initiative, yeah. which completely gives power to someone else to do other things and takes power away from the city attorney as well. It, it's just kind of, you know. It's, it's definitely, I'll say from an outsider's perspective, because I, you know, um, I am in the same coalition, Twins Together is in the same coalition as uh, Sacramento Tennis Union is. Uh, in Sacramento fighting for the rank control ballot initiative and it is shocking to see this level of um, voter suppression at the state capitol right and this is like supposedly where democracy lives and thrives right and this is at the, at the state capitol that all of this is happening and it's just very shocking and it's important for people to pay attention to this because of the implication that I want to maybe get you know hear from Lupe and Shanti to, to get, you know, give some opinions of what this um, could mean to cities that have rent control and what this ruling could, could actually have that negative effect. Yeah, I mean, it's just wild to me for a few reasons. Like one, um, you know, I live in San Francisco. Uh, San Francisco has had rent control since 1979 or 1980, I want to say. Um, and we the, the Sacramento measure was, modeled the rent board proposal was modeled after san francisco's rent board which has been 
in existence longer than I've been on this earth. So it's a very, very established model with a lot of precedent. It's not some sort of like absolutely wild out of the blue proposal. It was a just a your bog standard garden variety, legally tested, long time rent control measure in terms of the ordinance and all of the stuff that was uh, all the all the content of the actual legislation or the proposal of the ballot measure itself. So that's one thing that's very wild to, to me because the San Francisco rent board has been around for a, a very, very long time. Um, and that's exactly what the Sacramento measure was modeled on. That was the first piece that struck me. And the second piece was even beyond rent control, you know, in SF, we have this too all the time with issues that aren't related to rent control or even related to housing. Um, it's always been enshrined, uh, an enshrined right for any Californian who lives in a charter city, uh, including SF. Like we have charter amendments that the, that the citizens, that the people of the city like vote on all the time. It is like a very basic thing. There's lots of other things in the city charter too, like, you know, labor standards and, and union bargaining rights and union contracts and all like, you know, even things regarding like policing and other things that we're looking to change the charter amendment, for example, as part of the Black Lives Matter uh, movement here. Uh, because there's stuff in SF that's policing related that's baked in the city charter. and We want to get that out so that we can redirect police funding. You know, even just making the argument, and I saw this in the, the Sacramento Bee, I think, because they interviewed one of the city attorneys who had argued the case that the judge agreed with, and he literally insulted the idea of even collecting signatures to change the city charter, like the entire direct initiative process that like direct democracy in California is based on, he like equated that to just saying, well, we can't make important decisions like this just by like signing something in front of a grocery store. And I mean, that blew me away because yeah, changing the city charter by ballot initiative is a fundamental, it's like, it's as it's as a Californian as, I don't know, it's as Californian as, insert Californian thing here, it's as Californian as in and out you know, like as an American mm -hmm. apple pie. It's a thing that we do all the time, and it's not just even about rent control. It's about policing, it's about land use, it's about labor, it's about all of these other things. You know, it's changing the city charter through citizens initiative is an enshrined right for Californians. It's at the core of our democracy. And the fact that they were willing to go against that, you know, just for the sake of keeping a rent control measure from being on the ballot. It's not even like it would have necessarily, like you still have to fight to pass it on the ballot. Just putting it in front of the voters who have 47,000 of them signed to put it on the ballot in the first place. Like that's just, that's just so wild to me because the, 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 even to just, just to stop this from happening, the, the scope and the breadth of like the arguments that they were willing to make Right. try to undermine it just have huge 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 effects on charter cities which are most cities like across california and the ability of the citizenship to directly intervene um in in the making of laws so i mean that 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 as a like as a san franciscan it's like there's a charter amendment for something or the other on the ballot like almost every year you know, and so that was even kind of even wilder to me, the way that they, you know, that the city attorneys talked about it in the press where they were just disrespecting the entire process, like from the bottom up. And it's interesting that, um, so two, two things to me stand out. One is that really the majority of places that have passed rent control or just cause around the state, it's been through a ballot measure. And it's been because usually the city councils or their mayors um, don't, there's not, the political will is not there or they are too beholden to real estate interests to pass rent control or just cause. And so people have been taking it for, to the ballot since San Francisco took it to the ballot. And time and time again, we've seen people want rent control and people want just cause. And so, um, and because they're elected officials who are supposed to be representing them, don't have the will or the guts or you know the you know moral aptitude or whatever to do it people take it to the ballot and so definitely to see that happening here where they're even trying to take that even away from people to me is definitely like you know what 
is not just the White House doing vote, you know, that kind of level of voter suppression, like it's definitely cities like Sacramento. Um, and, you know, the other thing too is that, you know, we've been seeing this over the last few years, we've been seeing more and more that when people choose to take something to the ballot, or even if the city council decides to pass something, we've been seeing, well, in this case, unfortunately, it's the city that's actually suing the people. Most of the time we see, like, the apartment association suing the city in order to stop a rent control measure or to stop a uh, just cause measure, and then people have to get to the ballot. This, so time the the city, this time the city did the work of the CAA then. Exactly. It's like, <laughs> For real. like, wow, that's so blatant that you are actually, you know, they're like, you know what, we're going to cut out the middleman being us, and we're just going to do the work <laughs> for you. You know, mm -hmm. they're just like, let's save ourselves some time, give me the money in the brown paper bag, and I'll just do this for you, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, seriously, and it's like, you know, that's why people talk about, like, voter suppression happening at a federal level. It's like, yes, absolutely. And it's ingrained in the system. And yeah. now Sacramento is also partaking in those type of tactics as well, whereas it might not be suppression of a vote for president, which is extremely important. It is suppression of a vote for tenant rights is gonna keep people housed and not subject to the whims of the market. And that is also really important. Yeah, I was, one more thing I was just thinking a long, long time ago, someone told me, um, someone told me that, you know, if every, cause I, you know, outside of tenants together in, other, in another life, I've worked on elections before and campaigns. And one of the things that someone told me when I first got started, like five or six years ago, working on these campaigns was that, you know, if we had, if, if everybody had the ability to actually had the structural ability to vote that we're supposed to have in America, especially the working class, everything would break down because like the voting, the system is actually not designed. It tells us that we can all participate in the process, but in reality, we can't. Whether it's like voter suppression in the polling place, whether it's like a lack of polling places, whether it's all of these things, you know, where people's voting rights are under attack, you know, especially in like racist and classist ways. Um, those are like the most outright ones, but this is an example of that too. It really is baked in the system, like Lupe said, that like, you know, they tell you that, they, the system tells you that, you know, everybody has, everybody who's eligible to vote has a right to vote and it's easy and they can participate and they're the foundation of our democracy. But when push comes to shove in situations like this, we can see how that really isn't the case. That actually makes me think about too, like when, when they were writing Senate Bill 681 and we, we got wind of it, <clears throat> they were still negotiating. And so technically it wasn't legal making that negotiation what, because that legislation wasn't even passed yet. So they were having those conversations as SB 681, which allowed um, negotiations to uh, basically trump a ballot initiative as long as the proponents of that ballot initiative rescinded their signatures and, they, and both groups came to an agreement. So as they're all having this agreement, Senate Bill 61 was, was being written, going through the different um, committees. And I remember going and looking at an analysis of one of the, on one of the websites. And it talks about in there how, how the political will is inherent in the people and how we're the legislative body. And that was so powerful for me like just repeating those words and reading them over and over again, because no one tells us this stuff. They just don't tell us this. And so we don't, we don't know it. Um, and for me, that was very empowering. We know that there was a ruling recently. So um, I like to hear what is next, what's happening. What's, what's the, what's, is there any appeal happening? You know, what is Sacramento Tennis Union planning to do? What are some things you could give us an update on? Yeah. So the, um, so the, the, defendant, the, the person who had signed the ballot measure who refused to agree to remove it, who got sued by the city, she's, um, she's appealing the decision right now. And, and hopefully what that means is that it will get kicked into a higher court, maybe a court which is less influenced by our city council, which certainly appears to be what happened with the court yeah. in Sacramento. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of like, that's the immediate next step is that hopefully the appeal is approved and it's heard in a court. 
in a different court. Um, and yeah, so right now we're, we're really hoping that that will lead to a different decision. It seems a little unlikely that it, it will be possible for the appeal to go through and be heard and, and, or, and for this question to be heard in another court before Tuesday, the deadline for the city council to put this on the ballot for November. Um, yeah. <laughs> but even if we don't get it in November, hopefully we'll be able to get it for an election down the road and still um, get these protections for attendance in Sacramento. Yeah, we're all crossing our fingers, believe me. Like, I mean, if, obviously it's gonna be a miracle if we, if we get this approved before the deadline, but yeah, we could get it approved either way down the road. That's would be a huge win, not just yeah. for Sacramento, who deserves it with all the signatures they gathered, but I think also for the tenant rights movement across the state. Um, well, I, can you guys maybe give out your information? Where can folks in Sacramento reach uh, the Sacramento Tenants Union? You guys have a website, Facebook? Yeah. You guys on TikTok? <laughs> <laughs> maybe Elliot is. Oh, <laughs> I can totally see Elliot having his TikTok game on point. <laughs> The Donald Trump took down my TikTok, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I guess in terms of where to find uh, the stew, we have a website, SacTenantsUnion.com. We're on Facebook as the Sacramento Tenants Union. We're on Twitter as Sac Tenants Union, uh, or as Sacramento Tenants Union, rather. And then we're also on Instagram. Um, and you can email us at SacTenantsUnion at gmail.com. So lots of ways to get a hold of us. Sadly, not TikTok yet. If you've got any TikTok savvy listeners in Sacramento, drop us a line. We're super down to get on there. <laughs> That's so awesome. And Sacramento Tenants Union is also a member of Tenants Together, so you could also find them through our directory on our website at tenantstogether.org. Welcome, feel the heat of the jungle, the rumble, under the ground we never fumble, even though the government is ready to crumble, I'm so down, I don't roll, homie, I tumble, I'm over you cats like I'm Shaquille Matumbo, I get inside of you like I'm a bull of Mondongo, I'm working in a sweatshop, order the combo, deuce and dust, we coming straight out the Congo. I don't think you're ready for the rhythm, gotta get up in it, hit it up, young lion, hit him up, hot lava, can't stop the globe trotter, don't bother, bring horror, you don't want no drama, when I'm fine, I'm cover. The slaughter, break it down, then I rebuild. Get around the globe from the third world. The third world, you won't act like you know. Africa and Nicaragua give it to you, Bruno. The third world, you won't act like you know. Africa and Nicaragua give it to you, Bruno. I know you really want to see him get down. I know you really want to see him get down. I know you really want to see him get down. So, on that note, um, like we can talk about a little bit about what we do at Tennis Together and and how we have some fundraising asks and I'm hoping maybe Shanti could maybe let our listeners know about our organization and you know and let folks know what they can do to support our work so we could keep fighting for rent control and just cause and other great tenant protection laws across the state. That's, a, that's the way the world works like we need money um, but you know it's it's very much like you know if you are able to give us money um you know we're not obviously asking people to stretch their dollar when we know like this is especially hard time because we're we're firing on all cylinders we're working around the clock non-stop day and night on weekends at night in the mornings all of that um you know we know the dire situation we're facing but we also realize that you know a lot of the people we serve are stretching every last dollar to try to make their rent so you know, we're trying to be really careful and sensitive about this, but the fact of the matter is, like, we, we, you know, we usually have an annual fundraiser. We're obviously not having it because we don't want to spread COVID, and that would be bad. Um, you know, we're, we're still having Zoom parties, but those are free. Um, and speaking of free, like, so a lot of the services and things that we're organizing, um, you know, we, we don't charge for any of that stuff because we want to get it out to as many people as possible. And, you know, we know that people can't really pay right now if they can't pay their rent, you know, why would they pay for any, any help from us? So everything from our tenant hotline, which is totally volunteer run, uh, serves ev like any renter in the state who wants to call in, um, you know, our hotline is free. All of the workshops that we're doing, we do cancel rent workshops every Tuesday. We're doing political education trainings on race and housing. We're doing specialized trainings against um, lockouts and illegal evictions that are happening right now, especially in black and brown communities with police. Um, let's see, what else are we doing? 
Um, you know, obviously this huge push um, with the Judicial Council, this huge push um, to pass AB 1436, this huge push on Governor Newsom, um, and, and you know, all of the trainings and workshops and things that we're having, like we have the demand for all of these workshops and the demand for our hotline and the cases coming in are obviously probably not surprising to anyone listening to this at an all time high. And it's also when people are really being squeezed. And so, you know, the fact of the matter is we need funding to support that work and we don't have, you know, a fundraiser. We don't have a fun party for everybody to go to because we're all stuck inside. Um, so yeah, if you are listening and you have the ability to help us fund this work, every single dollar is going directly to helping tenants with all of these free services and all of these uh, free workshops and trainings and organizing work that we're doing. So um, it would really, really mean a lot. Like every, every dollar you give us is going to be, is going to be stretched a hundred different ways. And it's going to be go directly to all of the, all of the stuff that we're putting together, which seems to be more and more and more things every, every single week. So uh, we really, really hope that you can donate um, whatever, whatever you can, whatever makes you comfortable um, to continue to support us in this like god awful time. Like, can I ask where do they go to donate? Uh, we'll put the, actually, that's a good reminder. We'll put the link, but if you go to tenantstogether.org, um, there's a big green donate button right on the top right. Um, you can't miss it. Um, I won't, I, we will paste the link uh, in the podcast description for the actual donation page, but if you just do tenantstogether.org, uh, there's a big, big donate button right on the top right. You'll see it. It's green. We, we highlighted it compared to the other stuff. Um, so you can find it right there. Thank you for asking. I completely forgot. And also where you, we want you to find us is also on Facebook, um, at our Facebook page, as well as Instagram and Twitter, all of which are Tennis Together uh, is our username. So feel free to also share out the petitions that we have um, that could also link you towards giving um, donations. Share your stories. We're gathering stories. We're crowdsourcing stories on how people are being impacted by COVID-19 and the economic fallout. So please, you know, also share that. Um, you know, we need to be able to, you know, we want to be able to show what people are going through and, and continue giving that, you know, the, the face of what is happening to our legislators and to the public. Awesome. Thank you so much, Shanti and Lupe, for that fundraising update. And thank you so much, Kitty. Erica, Elliot, Sacramento Tenants Union for being on and also for all the great work you guys are doing up in Sacramento. Um, and again, if you want to reach out to Sacramento Tenants Union, where do, you, where do you find the Sacramento Tenants Union? You can find us on social media, uh, SAC Tenants Union, um, or you can email us directly, SACTenantsUnion at gmail.com. We try to get back to folks within 12 to 24 hours but like shanti said the inbox is filling up well thanks again to everyone who's listening to this episode of the rent of power hour please check us out next month thanks for having us thanks all bye everybody